Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, my guest this week is doing things a bit differently, but we'll get into that. Would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, I am Neve. I live up north in the UK, so I'm based in Manchester now. Um, I do things differently with my own brand, but we're not talking about that just yet. <laughs> um, and I've been doing things a bit differently for a while, I think. <laughs> what is your background? Um, so I grew up um, sort of in the middle of nowhere in Bardsley, <laughs> um, in a very kind of sort of different upbringing to a lot of people I was friends with and then moved to Sheffield and realised fabric and clothes were really what I loved and started pursuing that through education. Um, so I studied um, art textiles, which was a bit of a wild card, and I had my sights set on going to Chelsea School of Art to do embroidery for textiles, which now I cannot imagine myself sat in London embroidering things. <laughs> but um, you, I don't know, you, you think all kinds of things when you're 17. And that was my goal at one point. But um, yeah, I realised it was menswear I wanted to do and ended up studying in Manchester which university in Manchester is it um, so it's MM so it's Manchester Metropolitan but it's so it's like it's kind of the old um polytechnic um and now it's the Manchester Fashion Institute so we're kind of a separate thing because fashion is so big in Manchester so it's now kind of under its own little roof within the university which is quite good um so yeah I studied fashion design technology um specialized in menswear so our course um was about the make and the pattern and the industry rather than kind of the crazy catwalky stuff you might see ours was about you come here and you learn to be something in the industry whatever that something might be designer buyer pattern cutter garment tech all the other bits of stuff that go along but yeah it was very industry focused and very kind of um yeah industry focused but also there was a lot to learn and there was Obviously, there's always a lot to learn, but the really, if you were interested in a certain thing, it was there for you to push yourself and be interested in. So, like, I loved machines and I loved construction, so I went to town with that. <laughs> and there were there was people there that had that knowledge and would let me learn how to thread up machines and understand how they worked and understand different construction methods and stuff so what sort of job were you aiming at when you went to into that study um i i knew i wanted to be a designer 
because um, I don't really think I had the brain for pattern cutting because a lot of numbers and I'm not that great at them. <laughs> um, I get by now, but I'm not a I'm not gifted in it by any stretch. Um, and I had a bit of a thing about lack of confidence for a bit. So I'll be a stylist. I'll just dress people. I don't have to worry about it being my idea. But I always knew it was design I wanted to do and the kind of creating things. And I'd always loved sewing and making. And as a teenager, I had my own little sort of brand, if you want to call it that, selling tie-dye T-shirts and reworked vintage stuff. <laughs> round Sheffield's kind of independent bit um lugging around a big Ikea bag of tie-dye t-shirts and reworked vintage shirts flogging them to all the shops so I always kind of had a bit of a interest in kind of I don't know sort of Del Boy and Rodney selling <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um selling things I'd made was always I think on the cards. You mentioned Manchester has a, a huge fashion industry. What mm. can you say anything about what type of industry it is? Unfortunately, it's the really, really, really fast fashion. <laughs> um, so Manchester, obviously up north in the UK, cheaper rents than London. Um, we're getting as expensive, but um, it was kind of, I think within the last 10 years was a good cheap enough place for people to set up businesses and brands or ones that have been here since Manchester was a hub of textile industry on varying levels of obviously way back when the mills and then to just kind of wholesalers and stuff like that but the kind of rag trade's always been a thing here um so there's a lot of businesses that then I think you know sort of had families that owned them and then maybe started moving into fast fashion or set up here because it was cheaper rents and stuff like that um and it's just become sort of the hub of all these horrific brands (laughs) is there a symbiosis there with the university are they feeding people into the industry um yes Unfortunately, I kind of saw quite a lot of um, when space when you study, um, you can do a sandwich course and you work in industry for a year, which is amazing. Um, getting to go out for a year and kind of be paid for a year and come back with all that knowledge. Um, but so many people went to the fast fashion brands because it was in the same city it was easy to kind of you're not moving again for a year and stuff like that um and they would employ and they would pay because they had the money to whereas I didn't I didn't do an internship because nowhere that I was prepared to go because I wasn't prepared to do any fast fashion brands nowhere would pay me to go (laughs) so I didn't do one um because I couldn't afford to do that for a year on page um so yeah a lot of people toddled off to fast fashion brands and I know people that learned a lot but then 
I know some that got screwed over where brands just sacked them after a while. So they kind of cut their intern budget down um, and they were left with apartments and um, things they kind of signed into for a year before coming back to uni and the brands just dropped them. And as a, I don't know, how old would we have been? Like early 20s, some might have been just 20, um, kind of having kind of grown-up things you've signed up for in a job, grown-up job for a year, all of a sudden it was gone. But that's just in the kind of nature of fast fashion, they don't really give a shit. So, <laughs> of course, they do that to their interns. But also people did get to work in industry for a year and learnt a lot, but they learnt a lot about that type of industry, which is learning, but it wasn't for me personally. <laughs> I didn't want it. Are the courses in any way geared towards working in the fast fashion industry? Um, I think mine being design and technology, um, it kind of, it could have been because you were, if you kind of had your set on being a garment tech, let's say, you might have got quite a lot of knowledge from our course because it's um, about the fit and about garments and how they're put together. So you've got a lot of knowledge already, um, which is helpful in fast fashion brands. If you've already, you're young and you've already got that knowledge and you can go in there. Um, but kind of so that might look as if you can kind of help improve things but then I think maybe a lot of the brands maybe don't care if it fits particularly well or if it it could be made slightly better um so I think a lot of the knowledge we got on our course and the experiences we had within the course could sort of be wasted on fast fashion because I some of the people I went to uni with, like some of the girls I knew that have gone on to be pattern cutters were incredible, like so gifted at it. And if they, I think one of them might have worked for a fast fashion brand for a bit or I don't know if she still does. Um, it's sort of wasted on them in a way, which is a shame because I think, oh, God, if I had that brain, I'd do amazing stuff. And I, it kind of makes me a bit sad to think people that have got that kind of ability and that knowledge are sat at a desk figuring out how to make a £2 dress even cheaper kind of thing. But it's the world we live in. A job's a job for a lot of people, and it's, it's really shit that that's the world we live in, but it is for a lot of people, and it's a shame. So the course, I think, made us very employable um, to a lot of companies because we had that knowledge. But I think it's sort of wasted on fast fashion because I think the stuff we learned meant you could work at amazing higher-end brands. Um, But, yeah, it's a difficult one. (laughs) I expect the fast fashion industry must seem incredibly glamorous to quite a few people studying. Yeah, 
yeah when um, when all the internship um interviews started coming in because I was I obviously didn't go 20 hours straight up I'm not even applying don't want it <laughs> and the tutors were like well you've got no other interviews so you should definitely apply and I was like I'm not doing it I will explode sat at a desk kind of tapping on a laptop about things I hate and completely disagree with um but friends that went like I've I've got no it isn't for me personally but I I don't want to be awful to people that do because I get that it's an it's a job and it's a job in an industry that you studied in but some of my friends that went to interviews, the kind of coming back was, oh my god, there was a big pink car and thing. We were sat in this like bubble chair, it was spinning around. There's a bar, there's parties every week and stuff. And it's like, yeah, great. And it's, I think it's great in head office. It's not so great in a locked, dodgy factory in Leicester where your passport's been taken off you and you're on three pound a day. So. It's well, three pound an hour. I should say that's a bit. I mean, that's exaggerating. <laughs> um, so it's 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 a strange world, fast fashion. So I think you've kind of got a hint now that fast fashion wasn't for you. So I clearly, mean, <laughs> you had your own ideas. Yes. So wasn't ever going to be for me. I wasn't that kind of. I never aligned with it. Um, Style-wise, never mind kind of for my own ethics and morals. I've never um, looked, never, not looked, I've never dressed particularly kind of on trend. <laughs> um, and as a, I've never looked particularly girly either. So the kind of, I know there is men's wearing fast fashion now. It wasn't as big originally, I don't think. Um, but it was never something I wanted to go and do kind of stretchy dresses or things being as cheap as possible because I've always kind of valued people's work within stuff. Um, so any level of clothing, someone has had to make it. Um, and fast fashion being the kind of thing that drives prices and the lack of kind of respect for those people making it to keep prices low and lower and lower, it was just never going to fit. And especially I don't think I'd have felt comfortable looking like I did in well, looking like I do, sat in an office with a big pink car and balloons and I don't know, whatever else in the office. It's not very me. <laughs> I don't think kind of I don't think I'd have got on very well there. That sounds a bit sad, but um, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but you decided to to go your own way then. Yes. So as I said, I didn't get a internship so my um I only did three years um for my degree um whereas everyone else did four and came back with a year of 
knowledge and I didn't get that. Um, so I went straight into my final year and did my collection, kind of knowing I was sort of a, a year behind everyone kind of industry-wise. But I knew I also didn't want to – I knew I didn't want to sit at a desk doing, um, like, computer – like CAD designs all day and on spreadsheets that isn't that wasn't what was going to fulfill me fully so it was hard to kind of go well I want a job and I want to work in this industry but I also don't want to do what you know 95% of a design job is like designers doing a standard design job do because that's sort of what it is you do it on a computer it goes to a factory comes back you see a sample you deal with it backwards and forwards um so I knew I was a year behind so I was less employable <laughs> than a lot of my friends and I kind of didn't want it in the same way I didn't want the same um path I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say I didn't want the standard job um and as I say, the whole kind of Del Boy Rodney view <laughs> of stuff I had. Um, I always thought I'd quite like my own brand and my own thing. Um, doing something myself. I think I know I'm a bit of a pain in the ass. I'm probably not great to work with. <laughs> so, <laughs> I probably knew I'd always have to do something on my own. Um so yeah, I decided I wasn't going to start applying for every design job that may take me. I decided to do a fashion and business masters, um, which was a year for me to use the masters to set up my own brand whilst working um, in like independent retail again kind of more aligned with my values and stuff and kind of set off with that and did my masters and set up NMC which is what I'm doing now. How would you describe your own company? Um, it is a unisex made-to-order um Slow made, made slow, slow fashion, slow, <laughs> um, not fast, basically. Um, brand making, kind of, my thing is close to live your life in, but I keep using the phrase kind of inoffensive at the minute with people describing things. Sort of, it's not going to blow you away it has not got lights and baubles and feathers and ah, game changer never been seen before it's very easy to wear easy to live in wear it every day for three years completely wreck it that's sort of what I'm about in a way so yeah I was wondering whether Del Boy and um <laughs> Trotter's independent trading would come into it, but I can't quite see it. <laughs> um, no, I think it's more. That's probably just more my my career so far. I've just kind of stumbled into jobs alongside NMC, um, 
which has been great and I've had some really good experiences and done things I never would have had I just gone straight into the kind of normal fashion industry but working in retail and independent retail um like I started the last um place I worked for I sort of started their own brand for them um and it was women's wear so it was a bit different for me but it was very um sort of me women's wear so it wasn't um shapely it was very oversized it was comfy it was easy to wear the audience was a bit older as well which was quite nice um so many brands I see kind of the sort of Instagramness of it, Instagraminess. It's sort of yeah, our audience is eighteen to something, and that's what the kind of um, language might be. But that eighteen-year-old has not got money to spare, so why are you trying to sell to them? So, <laughs> so it was quite nice to work for a brand and develop a brand that was specifically for sort of an older customer. So it was quite nice quite fun um so I did that within kind of for a shop sort of thing um again independent shop independent brand um and then moved on to working for where I work now alongside NMC so I work for a brand called Uskies and developing their kind of repair fixing department so again the kind of slower part of everything the, the, the yeah the trying to do a bit of good within other things alongside NMC. Now obviously I'm intensely curious about how well you've done because I appreciate how much work and dedication <laughs> it takes to start something and to see it through to be making stuff, selling stuff, and actually putting food on your table. <laughs> I mean, how has it been? Um, I've always needed a job, so I won't kind of lie saying I've made much money out of NMC up to now, because I haven't. Um, I've always needed a job alongside it, but um, I've been quite lucky that those jobs have been relevant jobs if that makes sense are sort of within clothing as well um it's there is this can sound a bit sort of massive but like there is nothing else I've ever wanted there's nothing else I've ever been interested in it's always been fabric clothing dressing up my like teddy raccoons as a kid in tissues like ripping all armholes in them so they can put like, so, like it's always been clothes and I've always dressed differently as a kid I was always dressed differently to everyone else um sort of what even before it was my own choice what to wear so I've always I've always had clothes and fabric and stuff around um so this is this is the only thing I've wanted, as I say, um, having my own brand and making clothes and making things with my hands is what I want and the only thing I want. <laughs> so 
yeah, um, yeah it's gonna it's gonna have to work because there's not much else I can do. Not got many other. I have no other interests really. I'm very boring. <laughs> Is it living up to your expectations? It's um. It's not very Devil Wears Prada. Um, I'm not in the high rise yet, shouting at interns. Um, <laughs> or pink cars. <laughs> or pink cars and balloons in the office. Um, no, none of that. But it is, it's what you, I think it's what you make of it. So NMC works for me because I'm doing what I love and it's in a, it, this it's the set aesthetic that I love. I make things um, how I want to make them. I don't kind of compromise on that. Um, and yeah, I don't think there's much. There's not, not much else you can ask for in life if you're doing doing something you love and you get to do it within reason how you want to. I'm quite lucky that way. Do you think it will ever kind of scale making things properly and very slowly? <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why the fast fashion people are sort of just churning it out all the time, uh, not particularly well or expensive. But um, I really hope more young people get interested in making um so i know i went to university so it's a different that's a different kind of ball game from what a lot of people either want or can do um i went to uni on part of a grant and part of a loan so i was i did have help um from the kind of I suppose it is the government, student finance, whatever. Um, but I've come out of that in £60,000 worth of debt. So it's not it's not great, but I went there knowing what I wanted to do and have sort of done that. Um, a lot of people coming out in sixty grand of debt isn't doesn't sit well. It doesn't sit great with me, but <laughs> it was the right choice for me um but I really hope more young people either go to uni and do the practical side of it um like I could have done my course and done what sewing was required for the degree and then never touched a sewing machine sewing machine again um but some of us were really into it and I've got a friend that's a machinist now in silk factory like really really high-end stuff and she's incredible <laughs> um her kind of make and doing the degree let her focus on that but she also could have done an apprenticeship um or something similar had they existed or had they been funded enough or whatever else is required to sort out the kind of messed up education system we have over here now where you kind of I think from what my parents say for their age group it was very rare for people to go to uni and the ones that did were very intelligent and 
whatever else and they went and they did kind of you know bucky subjects <laughs> um someone like me would not have gone to uni then and then obviously polytechnic unis and doing more practical stuff existed in a university setting and now you can do both but now everyone goes to uni in a way so I think then most people have got degrees no matter what that degree is in most people have got a degree so then it means oh well do I need a master's when I need to stay on for another year being another year's worth of debt so which then just means whole generations are in masses of debt which is sort of pretend money in the economics of it all I don't really understand but I know it's shit <laughs> for everyone concerned um so I think something is going to have to be done about bringing education to people in a different way and people that don't want to go to uni and get in debt or people that don't want to sit in lecture halls that they can do things and kind of have a good life for themselves within industries like fashion um, without having to go to you know all the rest of it because we're going to need people that can do stuff because we decided we didn't need Europe anymore um, but which was fine because we can't make anything here so it was a really good idea <laughs> um, yeah the kind of British industry is incredible but it's tiny teeny tiny and we really need to grow it if we're going to have a chance I think I was talking to Patrick Grant a couple of weeks ago and he was saying how he wished there were more young people who were interested in a career in making stuff. And I can't remember the figures he quoted, but he said there was a decent living to be made starting out in his factory at Crookson and Clegg's. But clearly that's not an attractive career path. It's, it's bizarre. I've I've been to Cookson and Clegg. Um, it's an amazing factory. <laughs> it's so lovely and so clean and so nice. Um, Light yeah, and warm. Yeah, <laughs> like it is a nice place to work. Um, and yeah, it's a good wage. Fair enough. It's in Blackburn. It might not be in Manchester city centre, so you can't pop to Northern Court for a drink after work, like you can at the fast fashion brands, but. <laughs> Um, you know, it's you'd have a lot more um, disposable income working at Cookson and Clegg and living somewhere a bit further out for those drinks after work than you would <laughs> on sort of lo quite low wages, maybe in fast fashion brands if you're starting from the bottom, living maybe in the city centre or close to the city centre, spending loads on rent, um, you know, having to follow said trends at work to look apart in the offices. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not... It's... Yeah, it's not a bad job. It's not a bad life. <laughs> but we don't have... Um, we don't have young enough young people wanting to get those skills um i don't think it helps when fast fashion is aimed at young people um and they go wow this is a fiver this is really cheap 
so why would they value how it's made? Why would they go, oh, I'd love to sit somewhere making £5 dresses? It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily kind of um, match up, I don't think. We don't see the kind of... I suppose glam is the only word. You don't get to see the kind of nice side of it. You just see a kind of low-value item that, yes, you enjoy wearing on a night out maybe, but you don't get to see how clothes get made or whatever else it would be to convince people that actually making clothes is quite cool. (laughs) Um, I'm sure people's grandparents did, especially in Manchester. There was so many ball factories, but, um, yeah, it's just not got the kind of interest that it should and you can you can have a lot better career make it not better career but I think you can work your way up money wise as a machinist quicker than you probably can as a designer um I guess that um I think of my friends who've done the two um and it's a skill you'll have forever kind of how people say, oh, get a trade, be a plumber, be a bricklayer, you'll never be out of work. It's sort of the same with being a good machinist. If you can sew, like Patrick was saying, like, I've got jobs, come here, I've got jobs. <laughs> All the factories are crying out for good people. Um, even sort of working on a freelance basis, kind of machinist that I know and hopefully get to work with Fred MC quite soon um on a freelance basis kind of could you make two of these jackets for me could you make 10 she's never out of work <laughs> um yeah it's such a skill <laughs> yeah, I think the, the glamour is the word we were looking for um because obviously it must seem infinitely more glamorous to be a top uh, buying executive at um, Boohoo or whatever than someone making quality garments in a factory. True. But at, at, at the end of the day, though, it must be so satisfying making things that you know are really good. Mm. But, I mean, even, even at Boohoo, let's say, that – exec in the office in the big fancy chair with whatever car parked outside literally doesn't pay a pound of their rent or mortgage or whatever doesn't make a penny to invest in whatever evil things they invest in (laughs) without that machinist with those skills so i it baffles me obviously it's the most expensive part of a garment usually so yes people are going to push it and push it to get cheaper but it literally can't be made else. You can't make it any other way. Kind of, you know, we can make food cheaper by having a machine that pours the something to the pot and then seals it. Kind of, do you know what I mean? We can automate so many things, but we can't automate a huge percentage of clothing manufacture. So why are they the first kind of, the first level to get, screwed over it just it doesn't make any sense but because people don't get what goes into it 
because somewhere along the line we seem to imagine that clothing just existed as soon as someone drew a picture on a piece of paper. It kind of came into being when a designer had this fantastic idea. And, yeah, it's just bizarre because no one no one gets anything without that person person making it and with their real hands in a real place somewhere that needs sunlight and some oxygen to breathe (laughs) with the huge backlash against fast fashion now do you think people who are working in the industry feel that in any way um or don't they care i don't know you know um I sort of, I don't know. I would imagine some people keep it quiet, what brands they work for maybe, especially people that do kind of consultancy. Um, so it's a long, it's a long window, so I'm not going to go into but kind of, not fast fashion, slow brand, new, whatever. It was sort of propped up by consultancy for fast fashion brands from the owner. So it's, do you know, so I think a lot of people keep it quiet because they're making money out of it. But then the sort of people in the office um, who get to go to a glamorous office are probably quite proud of the fact because they get quite a glamorous. That's the word we're going for, isn't it? Now <laughs> yeah. um, they get quite a glamorous life um, on the outside from it, so they're not going to keep it quiet. I don't know. Yeah, I think some people will keep it quiet because it doesn't necessarily fit what they might be going on about elsewhere in their life or their career. Um, But um, I think some people are very proud of it because they get to be sort of, this is kind of what you were talking about the other week with that guy with the um, Fashion Nova girls. Oh, yeah, absolutely, um, brown and influencers. Mm. Yeah, so kind of being one of the girls that work for these brands um, might have a kind of, um, I'm not I'm not good with these kind of words, so pra- <laughs> prowess, that's not the word I need, I'm looking for. <laughs> currency to it it might have a sort of currency to it um kind of having the lanyard on as you walk through the northern quarter in manchester to work um or having it in your instagram bio kind of buyer at wherever Mm. um maybe (laughs) i expect that there's really two sides to it i mean I don't think the entire world has sort of cottoned on to the sort of shitty business practices of the fast fashion brands. 
there is a certain type of person who cares deeply about it. And there's also a huge amount of people who don't care about it at all. No. That, that's kind of fine. I mean, everyone can't care about everything. No. <laughs> but when you're sort of in the same business and you know that part of that business is really not very good at all, mm. and I'm being generous now, <laughs> um, that you can still want to work in that business, which strikes me as a bit odd. But then again, as you say, you have to have an income and put food on the table. So maybe everyone really wants to start a, a one-person, really slow fashion brand and make super things for people who are willing to buy them. Maybe. Um might be being generous again though. <laughs> <laughs> um it's a funny one because um I love clothes, I love making them. Some people love clothes in a completely different way. They love the kind of picture they take and post on Instagram and that is it says such a clothes are kind of the only thing Clothes are the only thing I think we could fully change about ourselves in a way, in a kind of quick um, um, surface level. So for me, that means that if someone wants to wear something that I've either designed or made, had something to do with, that is the biggest honour and so flattering. And I cannot fathom the kind of incredibleness of that like that means so much to me but for some people it is clothes are something that you can sort of like I said earlier use as a sort of currency so a kind of I wear this type of thing so I'm this type of person and I then get to hang out with these people or get to be this person online or whatever else so it's People value things in very different ways. So maybe working in fast fashion. I hazard a guess that they employ a lot more than all of us small brands. So I think um, I was listening to a seminar the other day with Holly from Make It British. And what was the statistic? something like 85% or 90% of fashion, of like British fashion companies or something, employ less than like 10 people. So the ones that employ loads that have massive buildings full of people, including like warehouse staff, delivery drivers, all the rest of it, I would imagine possibly the employment scale of fashion is mostly fast fashion, so probably there's more opportunities in a way for jobs. So a lot of people maybe don't want to work in it but do because it's the biggest employer and if you don't want to go out on your own trying to do something, then there's maybe a smaller chance. I don't, I don't know, it's the kind of numbers game sort of I suppose all these tiny little brands though that is more like how things worked back in time 
when people lived in a village and they had their village smithy and they had their village tailor and their village cobbler. So things were naturally small. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that's the life I want, but with an oat milk op- like option. So- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like, I, I love that sort of the idea that we kind of value each other's abilities and go, I'm not that good at this. So you do that for me and I'll do this. Sort of, because again, it's valuing people and valuing the stuff that people can do because, yeah, we can't automate everything and we can't. I suppose we probably can Amazon Prime everything, but we probably shouldn't. And at some point, we'll realise we can't because there will be no world. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the kind of small scale businesses—it's it's hard because we can't employ a thousand people, but we can do good with what we can. Hopefully. <laughs> I think the engineering me is saying that, well, it does sound really good, but it is hopelessly romantic and unrealistic. And then I think a lot of people who start a small brand with the sort of best of intentions think that, oh, well, we'll keep growing over the years and uh, someday we'll be the next big thing, which kind of works against the whole starting point. Yeah, I mean, we've seen so many good brands make strange choices which are clearly for money and obviously money is everything in this world but sort of doing things that are so not what that brand is supposed to be about that then deems the point of the brand pointless (laughs) the kind of essence of what it is is gone Um, so it's hard and it's kind of wanting to grow is different to different people. Um, I think wanting to grow to a level that you're happy in the life you've got from is sort of a way I think more people should maybe look at things rather than the I can't say this word, exponen- ex- exponential growth. Of- <laughs> um, do you see why I wasn't someone that should have gone to uni, really? <laughs> um, the kind of, yeah, just growth and growth and growth isn't um, isn't sustainable for, the, well, for anyone, really. So if we kind of figure out at what point we're happy and that, happy isn't always 10 floors higher maybe (laughs) we'd all be a lot better off but again that sounds quite hopelessly romantic like you said so it does sound sound wise though i mean yeah happiness doesn't have to be uh, the biggest car and the biggest house and uh, and all that but i think for a small business it does have to be a viable business because i can imagine if there's just one of you working um, if someone suddenly wanted 100 pairs of trousers you'd be a bit stuck so you might have to expand 
bring in some more people. Maybe you'd need to sell more to pay the rent. Maybe just just to make it into a business that actually is able to cover wages and pay taxes and all the boring stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the day, when you go home, you do actually have you have made money and everything is in order. Um. Yes, and um. This is a bit of a, I was going to say sticky subject then, that's not necessarily what I mean. It's hard to be a small brand who's trying to do things um, well or better or whatever else. I'm not going to say sustainably because literally everything is so far gone. We're kind of, we just need to do our best with everything. We don't need anything ever anymore. We're pretty sorted, aren't we? But we have the kind of need to make and the desire to. So that's a separate um, huge discussion. (laughs) But um, a brand trying to do things well um, and do it to um pay and to be a real viable business like you say comes at a cost and making those things in a kind of good way takes time and time is either paid to someone else or paid myself which um never that great at making money myself with it but I'd always make sure someone else who was working would get paid but um I then find it really difficult when I see brands who say they are x y and z but from where I'm sitting I cannot understand how it's so cheap and maybe it's because it's a hobby project to them um in which case fair enough you don't need to be factoring in tax and wages and rent and electricity and all the rest of it but it makes it really difficult when you're a brand that's trying to be viable kind of competing with someone's sort of hobby project or a brand they've made a brand that is says it's all certain things but is made in a way that they can sell things quite cheap which everyone's entitled to make things however they want it's I've got that's not for me to query um it's just hard when I think you're trying to do something well and people can make things look a certain way because people so the customers are so untrained to things because fashion manufacturing clothing is so far removed from everyone's sort of um dinner plate of things that we eat up and consume visually or educationally we don't know how things are made so when we see something made a certain way we don't query it um so me saying well I do it this way and this is really good you might go, oh, fantastic, she makes things great. But you might not actually know why it's good or what a different way would be. So when sustainable, slow, all the rest of it, 
brands are making things sort of in either a more um, hobby type way or in a more um, fast fashion, quick way. I think it really negatively impacts on the people that need to make their businesses work um, and are doing things sort of in an old-fashioned way where it we make it well, buy it once, etc. That sounds really shady on people. I don't mean it like that. <laughs> it's sort of, yeah, it's just, it's so hard to be a small brand and a sort of sustainably paying one. Um, yeah. Do you have any examples of how people make things in a simpler way as something that you can look out for? Um, I mean... The the overlocker, my kind of enemy in this world. There is nothing wrong with it. It is a very viable and acceptable way of making clothing. Most brands, most people use an overlocker, and it is the on the inside of your clothes. It's a curly stitch around the edges of stuff, and it is used to either finish the edges of something so they don't fray or it's used with an extra stitch or a five thread machine to join things and that is one process as opposed to me on my single needle machine doing four processes (laughs) to get to that point which obviously I'm the mug in that situation I'm spending all that time and all that energy (laughs) um but I'm doing it in a way that is um, sort of a more old-fashioned... I don't don't use the word authentic as in it's better. It's better in a way of sort of long-lasting... When when we look back in 50 years' time, I hope NMC jackets are still knocking about on people and they're being handed down or given or whatever else. And I kind of want to people to open it and go, oh, well, look how this was made, rather than now we kind of, we can open vintage stuff and doesn't scream anything unless it's kind of, you know, old somewhere and we go, oh, wow, look at all the hand stitching on this. It's incredible. No one looks at a kind of quick, automated, um, time-saving, efficient machine and go wow incredible that's <laughs> we don't we don't really do that so it's not something i use it's not um i don't do anything the kind of quick way which obviously ends in me never making much money but i'm happy with the <laughs> the way i make things so hopefully the kind of the making more money will come at some point and it'll be more sustainable but it's yeah I choose to do things in what I can describe as sort of an old-fashioned way and it's it's no issue that other people do it different ways but for me it's a kind of it's a more authentic and when we look back on stuff I'd be proud to look at that rather than 
I managed to bang this out in an hour, amazing, sort of thing. <laughs> I, w- I was hoping you'd bring the pride aspect into it. Because <laughs> there, there is there is pride in making something proper. Yeah. And I have to admit, if I'm looking at, say, a pair of trousers or a shirt from a brand that I consider to be a decent brand, and I turn this inside out and I see the overlocks up both sides, and I know that's taking them exactly no time at all to do, whereas making a proper bound seam or a French seam, which would have looked really nice. Mm. But no one would ever notice it because very few people go poking up your trouser legs or inside <laughs> your shirts. But the, they had the pride to do it properly. Yeah. And the brands that I'm sure you're talking about, when you buy something, you turn it inside out and you go, how very dare they overlock this and still charge this amount. And it's sort of, yeah, how how dare they? Because how can you be, I don't know, maybe some heritage brand charging, I don't know, let's say £300 for a jacket, which is not, we, we can go way higher, we can go way lower, but let's say 300 Um How can you do something that takes, like you say, seconds? Because it is literally hold the two pieces of fabric together and whiz it through a machine that also cuts it and finishes it. And then that is that, um, that part of the construction done. That is someone's minutes, someone's hands, someone's light is turned on for that time. That is a lot cheaper than sat, than me sat there with binding in one hand First piece of fabric of the other, attaching it, turning it inside out, pressing it, turning it back, doing that, top stitching it neatly, pressing it again. That took a lot longer. So the jacket on the outside will probably look the same £300 jacket. And when it might not bother you what it looks like inside because no one's rummaging around there. But again, it's that's something if you're only bothered what people are looking at from the outside if it matters to you how something's made, so it matters to me how something's made, so in 50 years' time, in 100 years' time, you look inside something and you go, wow, how can these brands still charge what they do and make things cheaper and cheaper? And it's because maybe they're spending more on marketing, maybe they're spending more on shipping, because we're all spending more on shipping, but that's a different... (laughs) That's a separate thing, but... It's sort of, it's such a, it's such a shame that we don't value things and brands that should value it are going, well, they're not bothering, let's us not bother, why would we? And it's like, well, be the person doing it better. Surely it's better to die on your high horse than one of the other, than, than to not, so... Yeah, it's sort of in a way, there's nothing wrong with these things because everyone else is doing it. So the kind of mass um, uh, guilt throwing, yeah, mass not guilty, (laughs) but surely it's better to be the one going, well, I do it better and it might not matter to you. It might not matter to anyone, but it matters to me, surely. (laughs) I guess the thing about many of these 
larger brands is that they're very good at stuff. They're good at marketing. They're good at finding places to make things cheap. They're good at sourcing cheap fabrics and buttons and whatnot. They're good at designing stuff that can be assembled quickly. Um, and they're also, and this is probably the most important, they're not at all shy about pricing. Mm. Because this is something which I've gotten onto that is a problem for you, say, in actually charging enough to make it a viable business. Yeah. So- and I can relate strongly to that. It's really <laughs> tricky, especially if it's someone you know or someone you meet, to actually charge them what something should cost. Yeah, everything is devalued and devalued. Sort of, you ask for your bathroom tiling, it's always, oh, oh, really? But it's like, well, that is someone doing it. How much did you think it was going to be? The kind of, everything costs something, but for some reason we assume everything can be cheaper. So people have figured out ways to make it cheaper or have made it cheaper but factored in something else that saves the money elsewhere but the garment hasn't got any cheaper however people do it we always assume things can be cheaper um and kind of the big brands that yeah as you say are very good at marketing all the rest of it that aren't scared of pricing at a certain level Good for them, great. I hope every machinist is on £25 an hour. Probably not. (laughs) But if they can charge that much, surely they could be. But maybe they're not because they've got big shareholders taking however much and demanding however much profit a year for their dividends and all the rest of it. Do you even know how much a big boat costs? It's It must be really difficult for them, honestly. It, and that big house. Oh, honestly, oh, don't get don't get me oh, don't get me started on SUVs. <laughs> we there's a thing in Manchester at the minute letting down the wheels of SUVs. I am in full support. Not slashing tires or anything, just right. removing a bit of air just to slightly right. piss them off because do you need that car in the city centre? No. Do you need it on the outskirts? Not really. <laughs> so, yeah, side note of that really pisses me off. People that are slow, small, sustainable, drive big, massive SUV type car. Mm. It's just, I don't. And, and anyway, anyway. <laughs> Something that came to mind when you were talking about making and charging um, there's this expression I've heard mates rates. Which must be incredibly frustrating when you're already having problems charging enough and you have someone come in and like mates rates, which I to me means that really they should be paying you more because they are mate and they realize how much work this is. Um, yes. Um, I, I think other, some people might be able to relate to this and me because I struggle to sort of value myself with it because I always go oh no people are gonna think it's just me in a in a spare room somewhere some kind of hobby type person they don't get why it needs to be 175 pounds I'm really embarrassed charging people that because I don't earn very much from it so that's a lot of money to me and to a lot of other people especially 
with the world like it is now, it's a lot of money. And it's hard to go, well, that is how much it costs. But then I'm sat here going, well, make things the long way, make things the proper way. And it means that they cost more. It's it's a kind of it's a self-confidence thing. It's hard to value yourself and to go, yes, this is what it's worth. If you are a person or a brand that's got no issues, amazing. Put yourself at that level, sort of play the game, be the <laughs> get paid. Well done. I am in full support <laughs> if you're doing things well. <laughs> but um, I think it can be really difficult to either value yourself or for other people to value it because I do what I do, but sort of, let's say my, my dad might not fully understand what it is I do and how long it might take and he probably wouldn't spend, well, he wouldn't spend that much money on something. He says, oh, no, nah, I can, nah, I'm not going to spend that much. But that's not, he'll value what I can do. My friends can value what I can do. But the actual seeing the cost of it, I think, is also hard when it's a, a one-man band, it's a real person. In, I think, sort of, in some ways you go, well, surely it's better and they will, they'll pay more, they want to pay more because they can see that real person. But also it, I think a lot of the time shows, oh, that's a person, they're not paying for a big factory, they're not paying for a big marketing team, they're not paying for all the rest of it, why is it that much? They're just sat there making it, they can, can chuck me one of them for however much or for free or whatever. And yeah, it's sort of both, I think. Some people can really not value enough of the kind of mates rates, like you say, or it could be us ourselves not valuing it because we're not a big proper person or a big proper brand. It's, yeah, it's sticky. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Do you think people are more inclined to pay more if it is from a, a sort of big proper brand, one that they can tell their friends about? I mean, yeah, because you can buy a really cheap, overlocked T-shirt that doesn't fit particularly well, but it says a big brand on the front of it, in a kind of crap plastic stick-on branded. So why would you not pay £105 for that T-shirt, but you are disgusted at something costing £110 from an independent maker? It makes complete sense. <laughs> Well, now that you've told that conundrum. <laughs> it's, yeah, but people want names and, uh, yeah, it's hard to, ex it's hard to explain. I, I might love certain brands because of what they are and how they're made and what they stand for and whatever else. Um, but, I probably wouldn't just go for the graphic T-shirt to show my support. If I really love something, it's probably because I love that jacket and that thing that they do. So for me personally, I don't just want to align myself by having the brand plastered across my front. That's not where my um, love is shown, if you will. <laughs> it's kind of, 
it's not it's not really giving you much back, is it? I mean, you might be showing some love to the brand and paying a vast price for their inferior product mm. as a way to align yourself with it, but they're not actually giving you much back. No, it's it's such a. But again, it's about price. It's about these brands that were, and on some in some parts still are really high end couture fashion houses that do incredible things, kind of craft, hand sewn, all the rest of it. But the entry level items are fairly shit graphic t shirts for the kind of entry level buying and. Every brand needs different levels of product for people to buy in and all the rest of it. But in order to be, you know, sustainable and have different markets and all the rest of it. But that kind of graphic cheap T-shirt is so far away from what that brand is supposed to be about. Kind of, I don't know how many people with the giant Balenciaga dad shoe things, which... Oh my god, I don't understand. I just don't get it. Um, I don't know how kind of devoted they are to the sort of incredible couture. I can't say that word either. Couturier is yeah, the incredible handwork that goes into some of the Balenciaga runway one-off pieces that we never get to see because they're for such incredible high-end clients sort of people that are above celebrity status sort of thing do you know what I mean like that is so far removed from giant plastic trainers Uh, yeah it's bizarre but I think I think the t-shirt is more like buying the souvenir yeah without really being aware of all the rest yes yeah that's a good yeah buying the magnet from the museum but you only went to the cafe <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> sorry to interrupt but at this point in the pod you're probably wondering where are the ads i missed the ads and you're right there are no ads i hate ads if you'd like to buy me a coffee though you can go to buymeacoffee.com enter gomology and it's easy and uh Let's continue on. Now, I know you care a lot about fabrics. Yes, definitely. That is something which I think many more should care about because I see so many things being made and the fabrics are just so boring. If I see another chore jacket made in cotton twill, why not make it in something more interesting? Um, I have got some twills, I will admit. I love a twill. I do love a twill. Uh, <laughs> you know what I meant. It's sort of, let's make something, let's use the most obvious fabric. Yes. Um, sourcing fabric is hard, for one, um, especially thanks to Brexit and all the rest of it. Um, being a small brand, it's hard to get smaller quantities. Um but it doesn't mean you have to go for sort of cheap and nasty. It just means you need to try a bit harder and sort of decide decide what your hill to die on is. Um, so mine 
Mine is natural fibres of fabric, good quality fabric, and using that fabric to make garments well. Um, ideally, I'd love for everything to be organic, but then if it's organic cotton, a lot of it's hand-woven, which isn't as hard-wearing which is its own issues. Um, cotton itself is evil, so I shouldn't be using that anyway. So there's less, <laughs> then there's less choice. Um, so it's, it's a minefield. I think you have to decide what your hill to die on is. So I've got a friend with a brand and she is very, no chemicals, doesn't want chemicals against the body. That is, that's fine. It's really difficult for her. Um, and I, we've been talking about it before, and I was like, you need to, she wanted organic, she wanted no chemicals, um, something natural dye, maybe. There was a handful of things, and I was like, all those things are incredible, but you're either never going to find it, or if you are, it's going to be, you know, a £1,000 for top, which, and when it comes to it, it'd be amazing for us to be able to tick every box. And I had to kind of admit, maybe last year, I couldn't tick the the organic, the handmade, the whatever other boxes I had on hand at that point, that I decided that my thing was going to be high quality, hard wearing, natural fibres. That unfortunately means cotton 99% of the time, which... Obviously, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know that cotton is so water-intensive and awful for the environment, but at the minute it is the biggest kind of accessible fibre we have um, and it is used to make the sort of high-quality fabrics that I want to work with. So it's it's six to one and a half, doesn't it? That you've got to pick, you've got to pick your hill and die on that hill. <laughs> so um, that's my hill. Natural fibres, unfortunately, cotton, high quality. So for this little collection I've done, I'm working with all Brisbane Moss fabrics, which um, are based not very far from Manchester in Todmorden, which is a great place. Um, they are not. A mill they don't weave here unfortunately anymore um they have their kind of old-fashioned specifications of fabric and they get it woven in places that have good quality industry i really hope we get back to weaving fabric over here and again having young people interested in being weavers and finishers and dyers and all the rest of it but right now we don't have enough industry to, I mean, we have some industry, but we don't have enough of the kind of, um, enough of everything, I suppose what I'm trying to get at. Um, mm. If you just want to work with incredible Irish linen, you're sorted. <laughs> if you want to work with cotton twills to make chore jackets specifically, for the well-dressed dad, you <laughs> you might struggle. <laughs> um, so yeah, you yeah, you've got to you've got to pick your battles. 
I think it's interesting, though, that the fabrics is another aspect of clothing where most people have absolutely no idea what it costs. Um, and I, you, you might, when I've, when I've pursued this thought to the end, you might say a bit about fabric costs and um, uh, how, how long it takes you to make stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, say, Harris Tweed. Mm-hmm. You'll see a uh, Harris Tweed garment advertised, and it'll be, oh, this garment is made using Harris Tweed. Mm-hmm. It's so expensive. But then you realize, if you check pricing on Harris Tweed, that it isn't really that expensive compared to the sort of total price of the garment. Harris Tweed doesn't cost that much, which is remarkable when you consider how it's made, mm. which is a completely different story. But, And I think Harris Tweed is probably one of the more expensive fabrics. So going down from that down to the fast fashion, typical lightweight cotton fabrics, which cost almost nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, each fabric um, requires a different sort of... Um, handling so let's say Harris Tweed yes it might not be if the garment's a thousand pounds the yes the fabric might not be 800 pounds of that (laughs) but the way the way in which you might work with that Harris Tweed will probably take a lot longer than the um, Brisbane cotton twill that I may or may not be using I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the so yeah, so the kind of each fabric has a different sort of requirement of handling. So so yes, maybe if you are making a sort of tailored jacket, it's going to be a Harris tweed or something or an overcoat. The amount of hours it will take you to handle that fabric and the methods in which you're going to need to construct that garment to do that fabric justice, as it were, um, is very different. So it might not be an incredible amount that you might have assumed the fabric was going to cost per metre, but it's still, it adds on a different cost in itself, depending on what it is. Mm. Um, so that things that fray massively are you know, so much more labour intensive because as soon as you cut it, it's fraying all over the place and all the rest of it. Um, so fabric costs are a strange one because some things you might see that are sort of, you might see something that's 20 odd pound a metre and you go, wow, how are they selling it for 60? Is it because it's a very simple top and they've used quite expensive fabric, but they have constructed it quite cheaply, quite quickly. So it's, again, it's a balancing act and figuring out what you want to do with that fabric and how you're going to handle it. Um, So. Yeah. So obviously there's a handling fee, if you like, (laughs) through the various fabrics and some of them, are easier to use than others, mm-hmm. and others are bring more into it. But say a pair of trousers, a chore jacket, that type of thing. I mean, it would take me five days to make a jacket <laughs> because I'm rubbish at it. But if I was making 50 of them, I'd become more proficient and learn to do it and 
wouldn't enjoy it at all, but <laughs> I've become better at it. So obviously there's some economies of st- scale. Um, but if you were just making one of something, but you're really good at making those things, it's quicker. But do people appreciate that things take time? I mean, Again. cutting, assembling, finishing. Again, no, people, because we're not we're not taught it anymore. We kind of, people used to have a Sunday best and they used to have clothes for different things and you saved up for things, you saved up for a pair of jeans at the end of the week and stuff like that, whereas now an outfit might cost an hour's wage, which is a bit crazy to think, but that is the world we live in, everything's devalued, so... The Human League from Sheffield once made an album called The Dignity of Labour. Do people respect labour anymore? No, because I think we all think everything can be cheaper and everything can be um, can be made faster and it can be automated and all the rest of it. We kind of, we want everything to be cheaper and it's because we're, everyone's, paid less inflation is up and all the kind of political things that go with what's going on in the world some things need to be cheaper some things sometimes people need to be paid more and that's the issue we've got um people really don't get how clothing is put together on mass people don't really understand it and it's hard to kind of get that across unless they're going to come and learn how to make something. So if you want to come make a cotton twill jacket, you know where to come. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my my thing is sort of showing people how long it takes. So my label has um, a little sort of ticky box scheme system, if you will. Um, So I... I write in each garment how long it's taken, which is a bit more difficult when I've made a run of something. It sort of has to be divided and it's not a stop-start on one garment at a time. But um, it's I think it sort of shocks people. They go, oh, wow, you spent three hours on this. I thought, well, yeah, <laughs> which meant I spent... 30 making all of this sort of thing so it's people just don't get it but then how long do you spend sending an email if you're an admin type person do you know scrolling scrolling on instagram yeah (laughs) Yeah. so it's you know it's sort of it's so difficult to try and get people to understand so it's so yeah i have a little ticky box thing and it's sort of bringing it home to people i hope and hopefully they sort of value it more afterwards. But again, it's just a lack of education that we have as a whole um, for how things are made. It's such a shame. I really uh, like that idea. That is uh, genius. (laughs) Thank you. I imagine you probably don't watch much of the Great British Sewing Bee. Uh, It's a bit of a busman's holiday. I love it still. I absolutely love it. Do you think people watching amateur sewing in that sort of setting gives them a greater appreciation of what goes into it? Um, Yes, I think it does. I think it um, 
helps the industry. I think it shows people because if you put things on telly and you make it fun, seem to absorb it better. Um, sort of like the um, How It's Made program. Is that in Norway as well? No, I don't think so. Oh, it's like um, How It's Made balloons. And it'll show you the factory and the conveyor belts and all the rest of it of how a balloon is made. Um, and it's quite addictive to watch. Or, so it sort of, it shows all the processes that go into it. So it being sort of made a lot bigger and a lot shinier with a very shiny Patrick stood there. Um, and Esme, who... <laughs> um, always kind of makes it more enjoyable for people and they go, oh, wow, it doesn't always look like we might have thought it was a fusty old, sort of an old hobby of what grandma used to do sometimes. It is actually quite fun and there are nice things that you can make and I think more more so machines are sold every year after it, aren't they, and stuff like that. And we have the great um, pottery throwdown now with Keith Brimer Jones. So again, I think it does great things for those industries and those sort of it's more of a hobby, I suppose, for people watching that might get into it. But the more people that know about it, the better, I think, even though it might skew some things. Um I think some of the tasks, if you just said to me, put that in there, I might it might baffle me, but I've been sewing for a very long time now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I do think it helps as kind of as um, tellified as it is. Now, I see we're coming up to an hour and a half, so I won't keep you uh, too much longer. But I did want to ask you about the sort of uh, production ordering model that you've started now with your brand which is, I don't think it's unique, but it's unusual. <laughs> I am desperately trying to make things easier because I spent a few years making things really hard for myself. <laughs> and I don't know why I did that. <laughs> but um, certain choices, yeah, certain choices, certain life things, I was going, yep, yeah, I'll make all these things in any of these fabrics. You tell me what you want. It's fine. I'll order it. I'll make it. And I will be really stressed, really tired, not making any money, and it'll be a faff. So I thought that that's quite silly <laughs> to continue that way. Um, so I don't order, you know, 100 metres or 50 metres of each fabric I want to offer, and I never did. I just sort of hoped that if I offered all these different fabrics, if someone bought something in that fabric, I will then order it from the supplier because they're all UK suppliers and then I'll make the garment because I've got a waiting time on each one because I never had money to invest in an MC in that way to have fabrics sort of in stock. Um, so obviously it never worked very well, obviously. So <laughs> to avoid it continuing to not work very well, <laughs> Um, I now I'm just starting to get into the swing of doing one item in one fabric at a time. So um, 
here is jacket 06 in cavalry twill tan. There's 10 available. Um, after either all 10 have sold or I'll close it on this date, I'll then order the fabric, make them, and it's all a lot quicker turnaround and it's easier. And again, I've never had money to invest in big amounts of fabric, so it helps by keeping it small and only buying what I need as well. Um, and it, again, means people go, do I want it? Do I want it? Yeah, I definitely do. And people sort of value it again more, and I don't lose my head, which is always helpful because I need to make the jackets. <laughs> so that's my new system if you will sort of one item one fabric and then move on to another one and sort of within that it means I have time to do sort of bespoke orders as well for people I can sort of seem to have ended up in a world of um sort of custom fit for certain people um so because I am a little one-man band I can change something fit-wise if it's a separate special order for someone. So I've had a couple of things for weddings, which has been very honouring to think someone wants to wear <laughs> something I've made um, either to their own wedding or to a wedding. Um, so that's been really lovely. Um, and sort of been people being sent my way because other brands weren't prepared to make things in sizes um for customers or alter sizes for customers which I understand on a big scale you can't but as a small brand if someone really resonates with your brand and they really love it but they don't fit in it surely you do what you can to help (laughs) because it matters to them and they clearly want to be a loyal customer so I do it I (laughs) I make things to fit people because humans are different shapes and yeah I think we need to be a bit more understanding of that which is really quite baffling when you see how all the big brands really just cater to the standard sizes yeah whereas most of us are either shorter or taller or thinner or bigger yeah so so, I mean, I'm I'm five foot one and um, quite, I'm not going to say wide sounds quite mean. I don't mean wide. Um, I'm not going to fall over easily. <laughs> Weighted down. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've never been a particularly skinny girl. So wanting to wear sort of growing up, wanting to wear more, maybe vintage menswear or just generally boys clothing as I started to turn into a girl shape which I'm doing the little um air quotes quotes, um for that because anyone can be any shape or whatever they want to identify as so I think it's we sort of need to move on more with that as well saying men's women's whatever wear um so I personally found it quite irritating as 
is probably the only word I can use for it when I saw unisex brands or genderless brands and all the um again quotes girl models were very skinny very flat shaped like standard again quotes men which doesn't work you can't be a unisex brand that just caters to a man's shape because it's easier to just put something big on someone because it goes over their curves and it sort of doesn't make any sense and it really annoyed me because I was like well I'm I have hips I can't physically get these jeans on but you as a unisex brand have claimed they will fit on a girl with this waist it's like well they don't (laughs) they don't it doesn't work like that so NMC works in a different way of putting space in certain areas like having pleats in the back of certain things so that there are space for if you have a bigger chest if you have boobs if you have bigger hips or you need an elastic waist and draw it in stuff like that is how I reason being unisex in my again on my hill to die on that's how I do it because I don't think you can call yourself unisex but use only very skinny boy-shaped girls because it's not really fair on us that aren't (laughs) i would like to say that i have noticed that um, unisex brands also tend to use very skinny boys so i mean while men don't tend to have maybe as many shapes Mm. they're also not only (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly um, exactly so that's the kind of little sort of world I found myself in the last sort of maybe six months sort of bigger men's sizes so for men that really want to engage with slow fashion and slow made well-made stuff and brands don't accommodate them and I just go that's so that's really silly these people want to support you they want to be involved and great for me because they can come to me and I will make these things and I will try my hardest and change stuff to make it fit and do what I can because I've I've been there it is it's a horrible feeling to go I really love this and they don't want me in it and to feel like they don't want me to wear it is I don't know it's just such a shit feeling and Again, my thing of going, if someone is going to sort of honour me with the fact of wearing something I've made, I'll do my best to make it fit them because they're a human that wants to wants to wear it and that's incredible. So let's get them, get them in it. That's an incredibly touching and powerful message. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think we've uh, kind of come to the end of uh, our time. Is there anything you'd like to mention or bring up sort of in closing? Um, no, thank you so much for having me. hope I've not been, I don't know, shady on people, being mean. I don't mean to be mean. I think, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> I think we should all be nice. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat to you, Nick. Okay. Thanks a lot, Neve. Bye-bye for now. Bye.
And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee, which is perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest, just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So until next week, bye-bye.